learning happens when all things come together and what can only be described as perfect chaos. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Perfect Chaos Podcast. It's Rhonda and David and together we make up the Perfect Chaos team. Perfect Chaos not only represents how we started this, but also who we are. I'm an assistant professor of education at a local university, and David is a program director and a professor at a nearby community college. Our backgrounds are diverse, and they range from sociology, criminal justice, fire, emergency medical services, emergency management, and then together, education. And all of this comes together into what is our Perfect Chaos. This week, we're going to take a look at the topic of whether textbooks are even needed. Now, this is certainly a very dramatic comment, as textbooks have been a part of education for centuries. These books have almost been a rite of passage as you traversed the quad with your heavily weighted backpack or found yourself dropping a stack of them as you descend the stairs of your high school. However, with the price of textbooks continuing to increase, it begs the question, are textbooks really necessary or could we use a library of open source materials and ditch the thickly bound books of knowledge? We'll be right back with this discussion after these messages from our sponsor. We are Rhonda and David, and this is our Perfect Chaos. Now, as we get started back this week, there are a lot of things in the Perfect Chaos world. In fact, things have been hectic in the Perfect Chaos world this week. Over the last couple of weeks, Ron and I have been working diligently behind the scenes for the next big thing. The Perfect Chaos Podcast has partnered with Pursue Outfitters to bring a Perfect Chaos theme apparel collection. We currently have t-shirts and long sleeve shirts available in a couple of different colors. Not only is the apparel line comfortable, after some great work between Rhonda and the design team at Pursue, the collection is stylish as well. It would be a great addition to your weekly wear, Check out our collection at www.pursueoutfitters.com front slash perfect hyphen chaos for more. You can uh, order and get it directly to you. So you know, just this last weekend, we got to see this collection go live. The fruits of a couple weeks of work. And uh, I think both of us were overjoyed. I was pretty excited. It's I, got, couldn't, I couldn't sleep. Kind of neat. You know, it was one of those things that uh, we, we were waiting for it, and we'd been doing the social media posts all all week because uh, we knew it was going live. And then uh, visiting family last night, and then all of a sudden, it's up. It was up. And our energy levels went from depleted to high level, and we started tweeting and Instagramming. I think I used that correctly. We've I been, don't know. You'd have to ask Brayden. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. We're not sure if we're right on that or not. So, uh, but we'd love to share that. So make sure and uh, take a look at the line there on pursueoutfitters.com. And uh, they ship directly to you. And uh, we'd love to see those pictures as well. So make sure to tag yourself when you're wearing that. And that's not the only exciting news of the week. That is not. Because I believe at least one half of this team... Has some big news this week. So what is your big news this week? Yeah, it's not mine. Yes, it is. No, I'm pretty sure it's yours. I don't know what you're talking because about. Because I think I'm actually looking at a news story that was released on February 11th, talking about how you were one of eight faculty members from your institution that has been named, has been recognized as a winner of the Excellence Award that's bestowed by the National Institute for Staff and Organizational Development, which is NISOD, which is a big deal. It is. Thank you. As, as you mentioned, the, that did get uh, released. I uh, was certainly very shocked about that, uh, but doing doing things and got recognized. So that was pretty cool. You did. So, so that was also some major exciting news for this week, even though I know you wish I hadn't said anything. <laughs> But you did. You're and, right, and, I did. And I thank you. And, and for those that nominated, if you, I appreciate that. Uh, and there's lots of good things. But uh, this week, we've got another great topic. And uh, one that we've both experienced through our academic careers uh, in the classroom and then at the front of the classroom as well. Textbooks. Textbooks. 
Um, all right. So before we even get into the questions we've got written down, I teach this semester, I've got four different preps. I don't have any textbooks for any of my classes. Where are you sitting on that one? So all of ours have a textbook and they're supplemented by the online materials that go with them as well. So every one of our groups has books. Do you get to choose your books or are those chosen at the state level? No, we, we have the opportunity. Now, granted, we there's some choice that we have, but there's not a massive selection. Okay. But we do we do have the choice all the way down to our level. Okay. Um, I just figured we might ought to get that out of, out of the way ahead of time. Um, I have taught from textbooks. Um, when I taught criminal justice, all of my classes had textbooks. Uh, it is just that at the point that we are now with the courses that I'm teaching, there's just not... Um, I, I can get better resources going open source. So... Um, I figured we better get it out of the way on the front end. So let's go ahead and get started then. Uh, what what are the what is the purpose of textbooks? Now, we we record this in our office at the house, and here by itself we have a, a large bookshelf. Yeah, I keep looking at this bookshelf. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff. There's personal reading material on there. There's there's your uh, both. Books that you had to have in class, me, books that I've had to have in class, and then vice versa, books that we've had to have teaching as well. Right. And then we go to our offices and we have more books. Lots of books. Lots of books. We have lots of books. Right. There's books everywhere. There are books, well, somewhat contained, you know, at least. But, uh, but so what is the purpose of a textbook? I honestly think the purpose of the textbook depends on who you're asking. Uh, there will be some educators out there that would say the purpose of the textbook is to convey information. There's some educators that would say that the textbook is the focus of the class. There's some others that say the textbook is a great tool to use in addition to what you bring to the class. Uh, and other materials that you can get. And a lot of that piece has to do with what kind of your educational philosophy is. Um, you know, the the publishers are going to tell you it's the best way to get information to your students. The students are going to tell you it's the most expensive way to get information to your students. Um, I think we have both. I know I have, and I'm pretty sure you have had courses where there was a book that we had to purchase and we never took the wrapping paper off. And then there is a class that I teach um, in the summers that every single time I teach, we're using the same book. It's not even a new edition. And every time I teach that class, I learn something new uh, because it's just such a great resource. So I, I think when you look kind of across the board, you've got a ton of different views on even what the purpose of the textbook is, whether the textbook is the focus or the additional tool uh, to help educate our students. And I see it very, very similar as well. So, you know, ours, our textbooks are, are really highly developed around our federal uh, curriculum. Um, and with that, we find a lot of times most of our programs across the country have got a textbook. And this has actually been a, a conversation about uh, between program directors across the country uh, as one of the groups that I'm in as to whether a textbook is absolutely needed. So, you know, as we take a look at this, a, a textbook, if used properly and selected properly, it should be kind of a concentrated area of knowledge based around whatever you're teaching. Right. You know, and, and even as we talk about textbooks and we talk about this concept of textbook or open source and, you know, which one works better. Um, I think we need to keep in mind that a lot of that is dependent on not only the the teacher and the way that they teach, but also the subject that they teach, right? There are things that I can't imagine not having a book for. And 
I mean, I just told you, I don't have any books at all. Um, you know, I can, I can look at my educational technology course. And by the time an educational technology textbook is, goes through all the different parts and pieces and is revised and makes its way through publishing and gets printed and adopted, educational technology is changing too fast. It's just hard to keep up. Um, you know, so if I taught a lot of technology theory, I would probably utilize a textbook, but I don't teach a lot of technology theory. Um, so for me, that particular one doesn't work. You know, on the flip side of that, I can't imagine taking an anatomy class without having a textbook. And so, as you mentioned, some of the material there is based on just how long it is. The body has been the body for quite a long period of right. time. And while there are certain things that do change and uh, are updated as we get new and exciting information because a, a new piece of technology comes out and allows us to view a function of a specific organ or whatever that we may not have understood very well. It's like the appendix is still one of the most hotly contested parts of the body. It's like, what is it? What did it do? What does yeah, it still do? Yeah, mine hotly contested its way on out. And <laughs> Exactly, right? <laughs> and, but, then, but then technology uh, in the other realms is, you know, from the addition of iPads to, you know, and how hot those come in and things were coming out. But yet now there's even more things that are coming out and about. And, uh, you know, HoloLens, VR, mixed use, you know, we've kind of talked about those in here as well, that, you know, a textbook is not something that is written today. It's not a quick process. And, and gets published tomorrow. At you all. Know, there's, you know, the editing process and the, the very different things. So, so we kind of got to go back almost to the point and look at when textbooks uh, were originated, you know, because at one point in time, textbooks didn't exist either. Right. I mean, you got to think early, early, you didn't have many people that could read. We didn't have paper. You know, I mean, there. it's been something that has happened, uh, you know, and kind of came onto the scene. I don't know. And maybe I will change my mind by the time we get to the end of this. I don't know that textbooks are going away. Um, you know, I, I think this concept of writing down knowledge so that it can be passed on, whether that's in a textbook or, uh, you know, even in like family history, things like that. I think that's a really important piece of what we should be doing. Um, but it is very interesting to think about that, you know, if you think way back, you know, what was it? Rocky and Bullwinkle get on the way back machine. Wasn't that Rocky and Bullwinkle? I think, I think it was. I think it was. The Wayback Time Machine. Um, you know, further than Throwback Thursday. Uh, but if you go way back and look at things, early on, we taught by doing, you know, with a lot of apprenticeships, things like that. So you didn't have a lot of textbooks. You didn't have a lot of people that could read. Well, and not only that, but you also had a very small population of people that were lawyers, a very small population of people that were doctors, a, sm a small population of people that were accountants, etc. cetera, uh, whereas, you know, many of them were in other areas, farms, etc. cetera. And, and so at that point in time, there wasn't a easy way to collaborate between here in New Jersey and California and Washington and Florida to to write. So the the process of, of writing a textbook would would basically be at your institution, uh, because a lot of this was built around those kind of regional in institutions. Right. And they would write their own stuff down. And so they would have a theoretical textbook, but it was an individual like yourself that was in the classroom that was the expert because the next expert was at the next university, you know, a couple hundred miles down the road. Right. Which was one of the reasons why, and you know, we still see it a lot in higher ed, that there was a push to not hire your own graduates is because you couldn't get kind of those opposing viewpoints, anything different, you were going to get the same thing. You stayed, now, it's still a push, but... You stayed siloed in your own thought process, right. and there was no debate. So if you were to take your thoughts and go to, say, somewhere like Harvard, 
you know, there'd be a differing viewpoint. And then you and that professor would be able to get together and kind of, and maybe use a two differentiating viewpoints to then develop the next level of theory. Right. Um, and, you know, now you've got a lot of places. I know when I was doing undergrad, there were several courses I had where the book was something the professor wrote that was only sold for that class at that university. Um, kind of a... I'm going to pull from this book and I'm going to pull from this book and I'm going to, you know, that kind of thing. Um, almost like the Reader's Digest condensed version <laughs> uh, is what we used to call them. Uh, so that what a textbook even looks like now has changed so drastically. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at this bookshelf that no lie, I think the bookshelf's like almost eight feet tall, something like that. It's huge. Um, but I'm sitting here looking at it and just the sheer differences in books that were used as textbooks, you know, anything from what we would consider to be traditional textbooks about criminal law to uh, a text that was used in one of my undergraduate classes called the road to whatever, you know, it, it's interesting to me how different the viewpoint of textbooks, how much it's changed, even in the past 20 or 30 years. So this is uh, one of those con uh, conversations very similar to the difference between Encyclopedia Britannica and Wikipedia. Right. You know, there's actually studies out there that have been done that shows Wikipedia actually is more uh, valid and more up to date, more reliable than that of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yet, Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica is still considered the uh, definitive source. You know, most academic institutions will tell you, you know, you use Wikipedia for the resources and, and kind of go back to the, you know, look, look at the references for a particular page versus the content. Uh, because again, that content can be edited and updated, which helps it stay relevant quicker than a print encyclopedia series that, you know, again, goes through that textbook process. And whereas that kind of introduces our next area that Wikipedia is more of that open source versus the textbook. I and, <laughs> and by the way, you should, you all should really see the, uh, this this is where we need to be videoing uh, because the uh, facial expressions that I just got on that are great. And she's about to say she despises Wikipedia. And and, and again, on a topic, you know, I, I do not I'm not a big fan of Wikipedia overall, but it does give a lot of information. It's just up to us to make sure that it's data driven and correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, I love that. That was great. Just, just yes. Just yes. Just yes. But That's it does. But, but, uh, but I mean, that does kind of open up that it textbook. Does. I for don't us necessarily of think of Wikipedia as an open source. I think of Wikipedia as a database of sources. Um, when I think open source materials, I'm thinking more things like JSTOR, things like uh, Eric databases. Um, you know, that's just too off the top of my head, but, but those open educational resources, they're free to use. Yes, I know JSTOR has a paid membership, but there are some things on there that are free. Um, but even, even with articles, the journal articles, publications, when I think of open source, especially to use in education, um, I want us to, to be real that we're not... There are some things that we're talking about that are going to come from other sources. But even if we're talking open source, for almost every subject, almost everything we're going to teach, it still needs to be a legitimate, preferably peer-reviewed source. Now, this is going to be the New York Times editorial does not count. <laughs> well, but but it might, but it might. It all depends on exactly what you're looking at. So if you've got a class in public relations or some sort of marketing uh, journalism major, then, yes, the New York Times may be out there. And it may be that you assign something and say, hey, you know, what is the 
validity and reliability of this source? Is it is it more is it actually meet journalistic ethics and uh, responsible writing or is it more of an editorial post? So really anything. So open source information is really anything that's available. Right. And now, uh, as with everything and what we should actually be doing with the textbooks, that open source material should be vetted and determined whether it's going to meet the intent of what we're trying to do. Right. Which is why, you know, as as higher ed instructors, most of us have uh, a lot of freedom to choose our own books for our courses. Um, you know, the way in my department, there is a, we call them the course custodial instructor who is over the course. And then, you know, there may be two or three different people that are teaching the course, but the course custodial instructor chooses the book. Um, and that's one of the things that we we get to do as higher ed. Um, now, when we look at uh, P12, not so much. Those books are chosen typically on a district level. Uh, there are a few of them that are chosen on a state level. Um, I'm not going to say nobody chooses on a school level, but I have not heard lately of people choosing on a school level, not for their main textbook. And they end up doing that for a variety of reasons. If the school district buys it, then, you know, they're buying for 5, 10, 15 schools and they can be, they can negotiate for better rates. When I taught forensic science, I didn't have books at my school. So I got books from another school, you know, so they would move them around. I taught it in the fall and they taught it in the spring. So So we just move them. Right. Um, which is one of the, one of the reasons districts do that. Um, Interestingly enough, I taught forensic science on the criminal justice side, and the books I was using were for the forensic science on the nursing side. Uh, so we we shared, you know, because <laughs> they can meet totally cross curricular. That's what we went with because it would meet both sides. Right. Um, but you know, for a lot of our P twelve partners and and our the people that we work with that we see all the time, they don't get that option to choose. Um, in addition, and we've kind of already talked about it a little bit, textbooks are expensive. They are. And a lot of your school systems just don't have the money. I know we've seen our own kids have gone, uh, most of their classes, there is a book, but it's an ebook, right? That's, that's the new thing is we'll do an ebook because it's less expensive because we don't actually have to print it. Uh, so they just have a login, that kind of thing. Um, which to me is kind of that in between, between an open source and a textbook. Right. Um, <laughs> it's not really open source, but it's also not really a textbook. I don't know. It's kind of a, it's, it's a strange little middle piece. Um, but I think we've got that going on too. You know, I, we both went to school when, and it went to undergrad back when you had your book and you bought your book and you highlighted in your book and, you know, you sold it back for maybe I, a third of what you paid. I was getting ready to say, you, you gave credit because I was going with about 25%. But. Well, you know. Um, and then, you know, we always had the books that that you kept, right? And and I'm sitting here looking, and the books that we kept were the books in our majors, which is typically what gets kept. I'm actually trying to remember what I did with my undergrad books because those were actually very uh, unique in the fact that many of them were actually printed by like the U.S. Fire Administration, and so they looked a lot different than most of the textbooks here. That there are a couple, I think those are in your office. Uh, believe it or not, there are a couple of them in there, the, the ones that are, are bound like these, but uh, there's actually a couple others. I'm, I'm interested to try to... Huh, that's very... I, I honestly don't know. Uh, so... Um, as we collect those, as we mentioned, your P12 partners uh, don't tend to have that because they are coordinated at a different level. But they're also, even with that, an opportunity to bring in some materials as long as they're kind of vetted as well. You want to be right. very cautious, obviously, uh, what uh, they bring in. So one of the things that we have to look at are what are the ramifications of using print open source materials in the classroom? So. We take a look at a lot of these things, and they may be copyrighted materials, right? right? So we have to be very cognizant about that. Right. And, and you know, there is things like fair use, um, the educational use for copyrighted material. 
um, you know, that that changes the game a little bit. Uh, it's one thing if I'm going to just take an article that I read and print it and go sell it for 50 cents a copy. You know, that's typically not okay. Um, right. So we just can't take that. So what that is, we basically can't take that material, take it to the bookstore, add a value to it, because then we're, right. we're taking out of the uh, profit pathway of those textbook uh, or those sources. Right. Uh, and so but as you mentioned, let's go into a couple of those. So with the uh, academic use for fair use, we can use a lot of the copyright material. Some of it may say, hey, you can use up to a certain percent. Um, but it gives you kind of license. If you're using it in the classroom, not for profit, uh, then it's fair use. But even if they are copyright, we can actually go a little bit further and say, hey, there's something here that I really do like, and it would fit into my curriculum very well. If it doesn't meet one of those requirements, fair use or, uh, or academic use, you can then turn around and request through the publisher, through the author itself, as to the ability to utilize that. Right. Which we actually did, believe it or not, going through our clothing line here recently. You produced the image. Uh, right. The first thing they did before they did anything with it is, who was the author? Do we have the ability to use this for the for the print of your apparel, right? And right. so that's kind of interesting. And all we had to do is because you, you're one of the, the one that did that, yes, they could use it, uh, which would be that same process. So you have somebody that comes up with something and you turn around and read it or or. Uh, see it, you know, as a graphic or something like that, and it says it can't be used unless approval is given, you send a message to that publisher or that author and say, hey, I'd like to use this, can I? And it right. May- you know, and I think while we're talking about having print materials, let's let's break down kind of some pros and cons, right? So I love the digital world. I do. I operate well in the digital world. However, there are some things that I just need to put my hands on a piece of paper. Uh, The project we've been working on this weekend, we needed paper, lots of different colors of paper. She is infringing upon my uh, tip of the week here, but we're going to go with it just a little bit. (laughs) Um, There are things uh, when I do, uh, when I go to put in grades, right? We keep grades in our LMS, but when I go to transfer them into uh, where we put our final grades, I print it off (laughs) and and keep my paper copy. Um, I am big on to-do lists on paper. Um, There's just something about them. I'm also really big on certain study materials being on paper. Now, they can come from an online source, but I will print them out and make my notes. I like to make my notes on paper. And I'm going to go just a little bit further. When when we talk about this, because a few of my classes have been open source and just provided the electronic resource, whether articles or stuff like that. And some of mine have been textbook based. And I when when I'm in the classroom itself, um, there is a lot. and, And I'll just make this that. I just completed the squadron officer college requirements for the Air Force, and everything there was open source information. Uh, they had, uh, but it was all digital. It was all digital, but there were a lot of times with the material, especially with quizzes and stuff like that, that I, I my, when I'm going through that, my brain is that paper based, and that that works for me. Uh, and there are some with our kids that it's better with paper based. And so we, right. I printed it out and it may be that I knew exactly where it was. You know, I had a stack of paper and, and just like on our desk right now from our projects we're working on, <laughs> we know, and, and, you know, it may take us just a second to find, but we know that location where that information is. So that open source, and I've said it a lot saying print materials, uh, that open source can be the digital resources right. via an audio video. Uh, well, and I guess that's what I was trying to get right. at is that we need to keep in mind that, Textbook or open source, right. either way, because you can even, be hard copy, you can be digital, you right. can be right. audio, you know. So the difference is whether it's aligned with the, a textbook, that band right. side in the electric, electronic textbook or not. And then the open source being that it's not a textbook that you have to purchase kind of thing. Right. 
So uh, with that, like like we're going into, uh, if it's that open source, we can go through the fair use or the academic exemptions and use those in the classroom. And again, take a look at your requirements. Uh, but with each one of those resources, it may be that you can use the whole thing without getting permission and maybe up to 10% without permission. Right. Or you may just need to take a look and find it how you go because there's clearing houses uh, that you can actually go to as well. That, well, and sometimes that, it's also how you're going to use it, right? right. So, um, you know, if you're going to use uh, a document camera, um, Elmo is the one that we have. That's the one that a lot of people know, but there's a ton of them out there. But if you're going to use some kind of document camera to show a print material, that's one thing. If you're going to scan the print material and put it in the LMS, that's another thing. And if you're just going to copy the print material and hand it out, that's yet another thing. So when it's not enough just to look at, you know, fair use, copyright, it's what is it giving you the ability to do? Because pretty much everything you can use a document, document scan or document camera with to put up on the board and show, you know, when right. I taught criminal law, <laughs> I used to put up pieces of Tennessee code annotated. Nobody wants that as a textbook. Now, law schools have that as textbooks, so that's fine. They but have law, law libraries that right. are very expansive, and they have these books from generation right. to generation. But that's not what I needed to deal with high schoolers. Right. right? And you I did one part of I that. needed one piece of... I really needed a piece of a piece um, to look at. You know, when we look at things like the Constitution, we can pull it up, we can look at it, you know, things like that. Anytime we're looking dealing with something like that where we're just going to sl- throw it up on the screen and not necessarily make it reproducible, we've pretty much got a fair game. Um, you know, now... What's interesting is how some of this online learning that we've moved moved to, um, teaching through Zoom, right? So if I'm showing a document in Zoom and sharing it, and a student could then take a screenshot of it, how does that affect that that copyright usage? So that's something to keep in mind, too. So as we get into this, one of the things that uh, I believe is important to take a look at is the fact, and we, we really kind of hit this one a little bit last week and going beyond the curriculas, does that textbook that you adopt, and we're just going to say English 101, you know, does that textbook that you select mean that it's going to meet the standards that are required in English 101? My argument would be that if the textbook alone meets the standards, what do you need the teacher for? Exactly. And that's that's why I put that question in there. <laughs> because we take a look. I didn't know and, if you were baiting me or you do that every now and then. Well, you know? that, and that's it really is a good question, though, because there's a lot of people that, that say, you know, and ours are probably the closest between you and I that, you know, our textbooks are written basically around the education standards that come from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. They they publish those standards and develop. We are responsible for developing the curricula, but a, <coughs> a lot of the textbooks are written along those same lines. We have the different modules that are tested on, and they're kind of built around that. And, uh, you know, if we, if we were to take a look at those, uh, education standards, uh, we can see those written in the textbook. And so the idea is, well, there's nothing, and I've actually had this discussion with a couple of teachers from my institution and from around, like, well, you know, the, the two things about one of our levels is pathophysiology, anatomy and physiology and pathophysiology and pharmacology, three of the big areas. So, hey, do we look at not just this one textbook, but opening up to other textbooks and or bringing in additional materials because that one textbook meets a lot, but it doesn't necessarily meet the depth and breadth. And I love those two words of of the standards, right? Right. I mean, and you also, there is a lot to be said. A good textbook is, is an amazing tool, but the textbook is only as good as the day it was printed. 
And if 17 things happen from the day it was printed on, you know, you, the textbook doesn't revise itself. You know, and there are some things, 2 plus 2 is 4, 2 plus 2 has been 4 for a while, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say 2 plus 2 is going to stay 4 for a while. Don't ask me why, because I hate that question, because it is, because it is math, and 2 plus 2 is 4. We even asked a math, the math professor that had a doc, that has his doctorate in mathematics, why 2 plus 2 equals 4. And he said, because it's math. <laughs> so I'm just putting that out there. Um, you know, that it's probably not going to change. But let's think about what you were just talking about, pharmacology, right? How many medications throughout history have come out? They were tested. They were working great for something. And then we realized, oh, my gosh, they work even better for something different or Holy cow, we're five years out, and now we're seeing a side effect that we did not know. Um, perfect example, uh, Finnegan, that most people know that you take when you're vomiting, nauseous, right? Helps with those things, except that's not what it is. It's an antihistamine. Right. That's what it came out as. And then they figured out, now, I don't know if it actually keeps you from throwing up or if it just puts you to sleep so you don't throw up. But either way, what is it prescribed for now? Not as an antihistamine. Right. Right. You look at, you know, and that came out as a secondary use that has actually now become the primary use. You can look at thalamid, which was popular a while back. It was an antiemetic that was given to cancer patients to keep them from throwing up. And it worked really, really well. And so they started giving it to pregnant mothers. And then we started having thalamid babies born with severe deformities in their limbs. You know, that's a pharmacology issue that right. popped up. The, did the textbook say it? Well, not until it was revised. Well, and we'll, we have a personal example. And, uh, you know, you took a medication that was designed for one thing. And your physician saw that it was had off-label use for these other things. Right. Mainly migraines and prescribed it to you. And I went blind. And you went blind from acute angle closure glaucoma. It was a 23rd side effect ever recorded of that. And In the believe, world. Believe it or not, then, you know, about a year and a half, almost, no, it was a couple of years after that, actually, uh, when I went from the fire department to the teaching side, in which one of my students... Uh, presented with that and their professors at that time were, were talking and I overheard it and I'm like, hey, they must have been taking this medication. And lo and behold, it did. Right. So, so I, I do think it's important for us to acknowledge that textbooks have their place. I'm not anti-textbook. They do. They do. Um, I just think we have to recognize the limitations on a textbook. They, we and have to when look at we the, get past the limitation of cost, because holy cow, some of them are just... Really expensive. Which I, is our next one. I can remember, <laughs> um, maybe not quite so far as we went earlier on the Wayback Machine, but uh, when I went to undergrad, I can remember going to get my text for my music history class. And it was two books and a set of 15 cassette tapes. Yes, I'm that old. And it was almost $700. Well, and the first time I ever went... In the 90s. <laughs> I, the first time I ever went, you know, uh, I went over to pick them up. I'd registered for classes. I went over to pick them up, not really having any knowledge of what happened. And I was expecting very similar to the high school. You know, you went in, you got your books, and you walked out. And they're like, hey, it's this amount of... You know, as I started picking them up, it was like, um, okay. Uh, I knew I had to buy the books, but I thought it was like going to Walden Books. Right. Or, you know, 20, 30 you bucks... Know, uh, Bef the pre-Barnes and Noble. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it wasn't necessarily that. No, and, it was not. And then when I went, th you know, went, went through the paramedic program, you know, granted it was three semesters and each semester had their own breakdown. But basically at the very beginning of that year, you bought all of the textbooks and, right. uh, you know, it was a five volume series for the primary thing. Then I had a pharmacology book, a cardiology book and, uh, uh, yeah, I'll be bringing home all those books. And, uh, you know, now those are, are still sitting in my <laughs> office, actually. Um, but, uh, you know, and when they, they're like $900. And now luckily, there's pharmacology. 
That that one is and actually the newer edition. Yeah, the, the, those are those are the new additions that I brought home during COVID. But uh, you know, they're like oh nine hundred dollars. It's like oh okay, yep. you know. So, and, I mean, I think there is something to be said. The textbook can give us some great information. Um, just like I'm a fan of going beyond the curricula, I think we have to go beyond the textbook. Um, we do, because, you know, if we take a look at, and that textbook is five years old, as you said, in some of your technology, uh, educational technology side, five years ago, we take a look and uh, Instagram was half of, not, not even half of what it is. You take a look at right. TikTok wasn't here. We had Vine at that point in time and it rose and fell quickly before it actually found its way yeah. into 20 years before MySpace. Right. You know, you know, I can even think back to when I was teaching terrorism. I don't know if you remember this, but when I started teaching classes about terrorism, the book that I was that they had been using, which was a good book, but it was written in 1998. So it missed a ton of stuff. You know, and this was in 2012. There's one or two major terrorist events that happened between 1998 and 2012. Well, and not only that, but there were some um, that were like the 96 Olympic Park bombing that they only had part of it because... Right, because it wasn't finished. Right. So, you know, especially when you get into some of these disciplines where things do change a lot. You know, some of our disciplines are pretty constant. Uh, We've talked about math. Math is kind of a constant. You know... Until English you get to the literature, upper letter, right? Upper English level. literature, Shakespeare is Shakespeare is Shakespeare is Shakespeare. He's always going to be Shakespeare, and he isn't he, writing anything new, right? He he ain't coming out with a new book. We do get some new interpretations as right. scholars come along, but right. I can remember uh, my comp one class. We had to have the little brown book. You remember that? Yes. And then ten years later, when my little sister was in her freshman year of college, and she needed a little brown book. I gave her mine, and it was two editions older, but it was the same thing. Right. Right. So. And now the little brown book doesn't get used anymore. I don't think so. Because we go to APA versus MLA. and Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, there, there are pieces to that. that Those things really work, and they work well. Um, you know, I just this week got my APA 7th edition book. Um so I took the sixth edition book now off the bookshelf and put it up, right? It, the seventh edition is what matters. That's what we're using now. Uh, so we do have to keep in mind that updated material. Open source resources, open in open source materials are a great way for us to stay current without having that additional cost of redoing textbooks every year. So the idea with this is we take a look, what is the overall difference when it comes to cost, right? So most of the time when people think of cost, they think of they walk into the, the store, the bookstore, whatever. They go up and they say, here's my class load. They bring the books out and they ring it up on the register and it says X dollars, right? right? But uh, I, me personally, it's kind of... The, the cost itself is basically how that textbook gets utilized. So if we buy that textbook at a cost of, we're just going to say $50. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> Sorry. It's really loud. Uh, no. Sorry. And we're just going to use a value of $50, and I never break the seal on it. Right. And I'm able to return it at the end of the semester. You're uh, not going to get $50 I'm not going to get $50 back, but I get, say, $15 back. And so ultimately the cost of that book to me over that period of time was $35, but I never used it. That's a very high cost. Right. But if I, if I have that textbook that's $50, I return it for uh, that amount. I get, I get my money back. Uh, then I use it every day. You know, it's, you know, I've got highlights. You know, well, you can't really highlight and get money back, but you know what I'm saying? Like you, right. every line in there is scrutinized and you go through, then my cost is relatively low. Versus that of open source materials. We've talked about most of the open source material is going to be free. Uh, or we have access to, like you said, JSTOR, you know, for us, uh, Journal of uh, Amer- American Medical Association, some of the different uh, medical journals. But even with that, 
many of our institutions, if they're if they're journals that we're using regularly, the library will have access to many of those. Right. So they're free resources, uh, or at least you know uh, a member account that they may have that we require. Right. Um, and I mean, you've got so, the things that you can get. Um, I know I've talked about ISTE before, but so in my educational technology class, I use a ton of things that I get through my ISTE membership, um, you know, because that's kind of the most up-to-date thing in educational technology um, that I've found to use. So, yeah, there's a ton of that kind of stuff that's great to use as ancillary materials uh, or depending on your course as your course materials. So the idea with that would be, you know, is that cost, as you're taking a look, textbook or open source, you know, take a look at that use. Are you going to be using it a lot? If, if so, and the student's going to get the material and, and get the information, then it may be worth evaluation. Or is another source that, that has a smaller cost or no cost going to be something that's higher? Well, and there's another cost, too, besides just the, the purchase price you know if you make the decision to use open source you have to go find it um it is it takes me a ton more time to go find open source make sure that none of my links have changed every semester you know the ones that have dois that's great but not all of them do so going and and rechecking those links every semester rechecking the videos that i use every semester uh, to make sure that they're still there. There is a time component, too. And in addition to that, researching and making sure they're valid and reliable, those kind of things. So, yes, it, it's definitely a time cost on yourself. But uh, that allows us to be the owners of our own content. Right. When, when we, you know, I know me being in the classroom the last little bit uh, and, and getting some opportunities, some of the wording that you'll see in some of the supporting materials or even the text, you're like, look, I, I don't really necessarily like the way that this is worded. This is the way I want you to think about that. So by using the open source materials, we can say what we want to say without having to say, well, the textbook mentions it this way. I want you to kind of think about it this way. Right. Um, and that if done correctly, kind of enhances your validity as an instructor per se, you know, they, you know, you, well, you've selected something and now you're having to change things a little bit to, you know, this is very much what it needs to say to meet the standards and the, and, and everything. Uh, so that, that ownership in the content by selecting those resources that may be more up to date is like, Hey, like you said, a textbook from the 98 terrorism side is like, there's a lot of stuff that it doesn't, talk about yet and so we're gonna to have to talk about this and so by saying hey this is where we are textbook wise we're going to utilize this because there's a tremendous amount of information if you take a look a right. lot of the techniques are the same it's just how they're employed and now we're going to supplement it with these other areas right and you build that i, I keep going back to the word that ownership you you own the content you kind of drive it where you want it to go right but the one thing that you do lose by going to these open source is a lot of textbooks now, at least in my side, and I, I do know that there are some others. Uh, it's not just the textbook that's being written now. You know, they try to drive and, and make it kind of a one-stop shop, which makes it easy for instructors, faculty members, because they have PowerPoints that are already built. They have quiz material that can, can be generated or test uh, questions that can be uh, pulled from their test bank. Um, you know, they go out and build the scenarios that you may have to discuss. So uh, one of the things that you lose per se by going to those open sources is kind of the supporting materials that come along with that textbook package. Right. And, you know, I go back and forth on those supporting materials. I love supporting materials that allow students to interact with them. Um, I am not, nor have I ever been a fan of... <laughs> Uh, the PowerPoints that come with the textbook, that's just me. Um, it's not my favorite thing. Also not a huge fan of the test banks. Uh, I understand their purpose. They just don't fit the way I teach my classes, which is fine. Um, you know, a lot of publishers now have an online component 
where the student gets in and it's almost like a workbook that's that's digital um, or projects that are digital that that go with it. And I think those can be some really good materials. There are even some textbook companies that are now starting to sell those ancillary materials without the textbook. So you can get one or the other, or you can get them together. Uh, And so that's a good thing to keep in mind. And very much so, because uh, with, with some of our stuff, it's the amplification. Some It may just be that one component that we utilize it, and we find that it's ultimately overall a little bit better. So Right, and, and probably the last, well, the last thing I'm going to pop in here with on the benefit of a textbook. I mean, and like I said, I don't have any right now. Um, but one of the other benefits of a textbook is a lot of times if you're dealing with students with special needs and you that they need a Braille textbook or they need a read aloud or something along those lines, those textbook companies have them. Because one of Whereas the things- if you're doing open source, that's the other piece to keep in mind is you have to make those ADA compliant. You have to make them accessible. And and that's actually a good topic for one of our future episodes because uh, now that is definitely something that is is key is not only providing those including videos which require transcription or or audio which requires print material as well or vice versa, um, you know because most textbooks are looking at again they're they're mark you know the goal of textbook publishers is to market to the faculty members to say hey this is everything you're going to need you adopt this textbook and you have those accessible resources you have the online material to support hey i'm going to go ahead and give you powerpoints and give you the ability to control it so if you want to change it hey go right ahead but the content right. is basically already there um, because that that accessibility is a is a tremendous point and it's something that a lot of institutions you know before you can adopt a new textbook especially a new textbook with online resources you got to go through a procedure now as well. So, right. Uh, so over the last hour, we've kind of gone over the differences between textbooks and open source materials. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked about both our personal opinions and our professional opinions now. And so let's go into our tips of the week. Okay. Am I going first? You're going first. Even though I stepped on yours earlier, you, you said. You, you, you kind of skirted the line. I danced around it. All right. Danced on it. The Danced line. around it. On the line, around the topic. No. All right. My tip of the week this week is twofold. Um, and as I talk about my tip of the week, know that I'm also talking to myself. The first piece of this tip is to own what is yours and only what is yours. So what I mean by that is you really have to look at and evaluate what do you have control over What are the things you influence and what are the things that happen regardless of where you are in the process? Now, I say this to our children all the time. I've said it to students all over the place. But until you know where things fall, you really can't just own what's yours. And too many of us are walking around trying to own everybody's everything that we have no control over. Uh, And that's just adding to to the stress, right? There are things that I can control. There are things that I can influence. And there are things that I have zero control over. And they're going to happen regardless of how I feel about it or what I do. Um, So knowing where your stuff falls in that reality on that spectrum is the first half of my tip. Right. So figure out where your stuff falls. The second piece is to let it go. Let it go. Don't sing. Please don't sing. We'll get a poll going. Nobody wants to hear you sing. All right. So when I say let it go, what I mean by that is once you have figured out what you can actually own, let the rest of it go. Do not waste your time and energy and effort and focus on things that you have no control over. Right? So letting go of those things that we don't own gives us more time and energy to utilize the things where we need to be focusing our time and energy, right? I don't have any control over whether the internet is up or down on any given day. What I do have control over is whether I make the things that I need in my class able to run, whether the internet is up or down on any given day. 
right? So I'm going to quit trying to own the, the internet issue and instead make sure that my stuff works regardless. That's kind of what I'm getting at with this. So own what is yours. And then once you own that, let the rest of it go. And my tip for this week is actually mind mapping. And it's something that uh, Rhonda was very devastated to see that I put in my comment because she wanted to use it as well. I did not want to use it as well. <laughs> That's why she had to stick it in uh, the topic just a little bit ago. But uh, this weekend, Ron and I went through the process of developing an understanding of a business. And during this process, we invested a significant amount of time sitting across our desk, very similar to what we're doing now recording. Uh, but uh, we, we spent a time figuring out what is going on, understanding the material and exactly where we were stepping in at. Now, I would like to point out while you're talking about mind mapping that the fact that I buy post-it notes in different colors was tremendously helpful, Mr. Vanilla Milkshake. Well, excuse me. I got a I got a sponsor ad right in here, and you dropping in with those post-its that early it puts it in a bad spot. So uh, this is where mind mapping actually comes in. So if you ever do a Google mind map, it kind of talk it brings to you multiple softwares that's out there, and kind of gives you uh, the ability for you to put a topic in there and kind of flow all of the things that kind of stem off of that. And uh, for us. And we were looking for that logical map. And for, for us, it was uh, actually sitting down with a tabletop what with what ended up as a tabletop for sticky notes. And like I said, this is where 3M would be a great sponsor edition here, because if they saw our desk currently, uh, they would see one, two, three, four, five six, seven, at least seven, eight different colors, eight different colors of sticky notes and pads across her desk. But this allowed us to take a central topic. We, we have a, a central color here that had it. And then we mapped everything around it. One side was one, one side was the other. And then we laid everything out and then started to put it together in our logical form uh, for that. This could be you. It could be your next item as well. It could be uh, developing a textbook or the open source materials that you have. You have a concept in the middle and you want to see what it is that uh, fits into there. Uh, it could be just simply planning your next project. And uh, if you plan for these kind of things, it could also be for your next vacation as well. Hey, we want to see this, 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 and this, and where, where fits into that. So uh, it, it takes a look. So, uh, I recommend anytime we're talking about large projects like this to either sit down with a variety of post-it notes or find that software that works for you and it kind of lays it out. So, Different colors works really well. <laughs> Whether you're doing it electronically or on the paper, you can get different colors. So. Uh, before we conclude this week, though, we want to reiterate how excited we are and think you should be, too, to go see Pursuit Outfitters and find the latest Perfect Chaos gear. We have white and orange T-shirts, uh, white and gray long sleeve shirts currently. We'll have more that are coming out and about, but uh, we think that you all should check out that Perfect Chaos gear at PursuitOutfitters.com and uh, send us your pictures on social media. Uh, of what it looks like when it comes in. So we'd love to see those on some of our different platforms. We want to see your perfect chaos. Yes. So as we conclude today, we'd always like to say that we look forward to recording these episodes and engaging with each of you. However, without your feedback, we do not know what you're thinking. So don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find all about us on our Perfect Chaos website, www.perfect-chaos.com. Org. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Perfect Chaos 7 and on Instagram at Perfect Chaos 7. And we do have a Facebook page now as well, which is a little bit different than our others because somebody already had the Perfect Chaos 7. So it's at a Perfect Chaos and the number seven. So you can also find us personally on Twitter at... I'm at DRR Blevins. And I am at DS Blev. 
And if you're following us on the Anchor FM platform, you can also hit the message button and send us a voicemail. We'd love to include those messages on our future podcast. And lastly, we've also opened up the listener support tab on Anchor. So if you feel led, you can support the podcast with a small donation that will be used to expand our podcast capabilities. Until next week, remain calm in your perfect chaos.